you have your copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to open up to Deuteronomy chapter 6. This morning we'll take a break from our walking, our study through Acts and look at a specific message really designed to speak to the culture of our day and Father's Day. As we celebrate Father's Day today, I wanted to address uh, particularly fathers, but also generally address uh, all members of God's people. And so Deuteronomy chapter 6 will be our text. Before we read or proceed with the message, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we approach your word, as we've already asked, would you make your word known to us? And Father, I pray this morning for your Holy Spirit's power in our midst. You would illumine our minds and our hearts. And God, I pray that you would anoint my lips as I speak your word this morning, anoint our ears as we hear your word. And I pray, Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The importance of a father's role and presence in the life of his children can be seen in the Spanish story of a father and a son who had become estranged. The son had run away, and the father had set off to find him. And the father had searched for months, high and low, to no avail. In a last and most desperate attempt, the father put out an ad in the Madrid newspaper. And the ad read, Dear Paco, meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you. Your father. On Saturday, 800 Pacos showed up looking for forgiveness and love from their fathers. It is somewhat comical, but it also speaks to a deep need within the life of children, the need of a father, the need of one who can speak into their life and be a positive and influencing presence in their life. Well, in our text this morning, Deuteronomy chapter 6, perhaps you know about Israel's history, maybe not, but at this point in Israel's history, it's been 40 years since they've received the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. They've been traveling and wandering through the wilderness, waiting on their father's generation to die so they can enter into the promised land. And Moses is preparing them to enter the promised land. And so follow along as I read from Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 1 through verse 15. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall speak of them when you sit in your house 
And when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good, all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord God be kindled against you, and He destroy you from off the face of the earth. Sobering words. As Moses addresses God's people entering the promised land, You know, one of the striking elements for me as I read chapter 6 is the description of God's blessing for His people in the promised land. We kind of end on a a challenging note there in verse 15, but, but did you catch the description of the promised land and of the blessing that God was giving His people as He was bringing them into the land? We see the promise of long life. He says in verse 2, that your days may be long. Or the promise of fruitfulness for their families, verse 3, that you may multiply greatly. Or the promise of fertile land and fertile herds, a land flowing with milk and honey. Think about what that means. In order to get milk, there has to be fertile herd, a fertile herd, right? Cows or goats, right? And then for there to be honey, right? There's got to be plenty of of bees pollinating, right? So there, there must be flowers blooming. This, this land, it's a beautiful land. It's a good land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. There's the promise of prosperity and ease for God's people. Look at verse 10. Great and good cities that you didn't build. Houses full of all good things, verse 11, right? Cisterns that you didn't dig, verse 11. Vineyards and olive trees that you didn't plant, verse 11. And in verse 18, he says that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. You know, this is the same way that Moses describes the Garden of Eden in the Genesis account. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made And behold, it was very good. Here's the promise of God for his people. He's brought them out of slavery and he's bringing them to this good land, this land of blessing, this land of plenty. Such is God's desire for his people to to bestow blessing upon his people. And I, I think the point is clear. God delights to favor and bless his covenant people. I remind you of Vaughn Roberts' definition for the kingdom of God, that that it's God's people and God's place under God's rule and blessing. This is what's happening. God has brought his people out of Egypt, and he is bringing them to the promised land so they would sit under his rule and live under his rule and experience his blessing. They were God's people in going to God's place 
to live under his rule and his blessing. This was part of God's redemptive mission as he delivered his people out of the bondage of slavery to Egyptians. And so we see this picture in Deuteronomy 6 that God's a faithful God. God's a redeeming God. God is one who delivers his people. So a right understanding of Deuteronomy 6 is grounded in a right understanding of God's covenant people. Now, the disclaimer here, this text isn't primarily about fathers. But in consideration of our our culture, I, I think there's some important inherent truths that fathers need to consider regarding our lives and our family. And so first this morning, I want us to see that success in fatherhood is not a moving target. Success in fatherhood is not a moving target. You know, it's interesting to me that Moses addresses the fathers in verse 2 before he addresses the nation of Israel in verse 3. Did you see that? Verse 2, he says to you and your son and your son's son, teaching the fear of the Lord, in our culture, in our culture alone, we've seen the devastating effects of the breakdown of the family structure. Many studies have been conducted across cultures, not just in ours, that point to one common truth. As the father goes, so goes the family. Now, if you Google the importance of fatherhood, you don't have to do it now, you can do it later, all right? But if you Google the importance of fatherhood, I think you'll find more credible research than you can read in a day and all of this regarding the importance of fathers on the art of manliness website a blog post by Brett and Kate McKay lists the findings of several social science studies conducted on the topic of the importance of fathers and in short some of the findings of the study are listen to this number one well not in any particular order but here are the findings children with fathers are less likely to live in poverty Children children with fathers do better in school. Children without fathers are more likely to do jail time. Children with fathers are less likely to abuse drugs and alcohol. Children with fathers are more likely to be encouraged to take healthy risks. In another article found on the Gospel Coalition website entitled 25 Facts for the Importance of Fathers, some additional findings listed are Adolescents with more involved fathers tend to exhibit lower levels of behavioral problems. Adolescents who who report having more positive relationships with their fathers are less likely to engage in delinquency. Adolescent girls whose fathers were present during their childhood are less likely to become pregnant and more likely to delay sexual activity. A father's religiosity is linked to a higher quality of parent-child relationship. And last, among urban fathers, those who frequently attend religious services tend to be more engaged with their children. Now, this certainly isn't all 25. You can go and read those facts for yourselves. But, But what's the point in sharing this? I mean, Moses didn't know the results of these studies when he penned Deuteronomy 6, did he? The answer is no, he he didn't. But the importance of addressing fathers, I think, stands out in verse 2. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you 
all the days of your life, that your days may be long. There's a consistency that Moses is calling these fathers to. And that consistency begins with fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord doesn't bind us in terror, though. The fear of the Lord speaks of a holy respect, a holy reverence for God. To fear God means to believe in God. It means to follow Him. It means to stand in awe of Him. The expression of fearing the Lord is found when we keep all His statutes and keep His commandments. This is how we express the fear of the Lord in our life. By keeping all His statutes and commandments all the days of your life. That's what Moses is telling His people. And then we see the blessing and benefit of walking with God. Verse 2 is that they're promised a long life. But it goes further still. I think it goes further in that it, it includes not just fathers. Moses addresses all of Israel in verse 3. Look at verse 3. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord your God the God, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. The call of, of consistent obedience in the life of the Israelite can't be overlooked. And the challenge I want us to see this morning is the call of consistent obedience in the Christian life can't be overlooked either. Jesus said to the disciples in John 15, 14, You are my friends if you do what I command you. The children of Israel failed to fully enjoy God's blessing of provision in the land. They knew God's command, but they did the very thing God commanded them not to do. But here's the good news. The good news for the believer in Christ is that not only has God revealed his desire for his people, God has also provided the power for his people to live in him. And to follow Him. You see, success in fatherhood and success in the Christian life isn't defined by sinless perfection. It's defined by a life of consistent faithfulness to God. Living faithfully following God. Which looks like total commitment to God. Because total commitment to God fosters obedience. So in verses 4 through 15, we see this. But first in verses 4 and 5... Verses 4 and 5 represent really the heart of Jewish faith. It's known as the Shema in the Jewish faith. And the reason is because this word that begins verse 4, this great call, hear, O Israel, that word, that verb is Shema in the Hebrew. And so that's why it's called the Shema. And so the call of verses 4 and 5 is a call for Israel to recognize and to honor the integrity of God, the centrality of God in their midst as a nation and as an individual. It's a call to recognize the integrity and the honor of God's law and God's word as having a place in their lives. And so the way that they do this first is through committing allegiance to God, having allegiance to God, verses 4 and 5. And so in verses 4 and 5, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. How are we to love the Lord our God with our heart, with our soul, and with our might? This means total and complete commitment. 
And here's what Moses is getting at for God's people. And I think what we need to hear and to understand, when loving God is the chief aim of our affections, then obedience to God becomes the chief delight of our living. When loving God becomes the chief aim of our affections, then obedience to God becomes the chief delight of our living. Total commitment to God fosters obedience. And this is what Moses is getting at for God's people. Jesus taught, he taught this when he quoted the Shema in Matthew chapter 22. And he said the greatest commandment, when he asked, he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he replied, he said to them in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus lays claim to this truth for his disciples, for us. The expression of our allegiance to God is seen in verses 6 through 9. Look at verses 6 through 9. They model and teach God's way and God's word. And for fathers, I can think of no greater responsibility in our homes. This is the call of discipleship. Verses 6 through 9 represent the call for us to disciple our sons and daughters, to lead our families. And even as I read this, I, I recognize the ways in which I fall so short in my own fathering. I'm sure like you, our family has experienced seasons of enjoyable family worship and then we've also suffered through seasons without family worship like it or not the reality is as I reflect on it 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 falls back on me and I've seen firsthand the the influence for good that I can have on my family and I've also seen the negative influence that I can have on my family and the times that I exert a positive influence on my family it flows from Two primary truths, primary facts about me. I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about me. This is what I've noticed about me first. It's that it, it requires me to be walking with the Lord and enjoying His fellowship. If I'm going to have a positive influence on my family first, I, I've got to be walking with the Lord and be, <clears throat> be exercising right relationship with my Heavenly Father Verse 6 speaks to this. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, right? This is what needs to happen in your life, believer. These words of God, they, they need to be upon your heart, Father. Dad, they need to be upon your heart. Secondly, the second thing is I, I have to take the initiative to lead them to know God's word. I've got to take the initiative and even plan it out to, to lead them in knowing God and knowing his word. It's interesting what I've learned and what I've observed just in my own experience over, over my life. You know, I, I don't have to try to have a negative influence in my family. I don't have to try hard at all. It just it happens. When, when I shirk my responsibility, it happens. But in order to have a positive influence over my family, I have to be intentional. I have to be. This is what verse 7 is speaking about. You shall teach them diligently. Teach what? The command of the Lord. 
God's word, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. What does this describe? It describes the occasion of all day, of every day, right? It describes intentional living. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. Think about what that looks like without TV, without the computer, iPod, iPad, iPhone, without digital devices, right? No air condition either. <laughs> Just sitting around. Right? You've got plenty of time to talk. So being diligent. Talk about God's word. Or think about when you walk along the way. There weren't cars then. There's no radio to occupy the mind. Right? Think about what it means to be diligent to teach them as you rise up and sit in your house and walk by the way when you lie down. And you sit down at the table to eat together. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. Think about God's word being bound as a sign on your hand so that everything you touch, everything you reach for, there's this, there's this image of, of God's word being bound on the hand. So that as we grip something and grab hold of something, we're mindful this has come from God, right? The houses you live in, you didn't build them. The cisterns you, you, you drink from, you didn't dig them. The vineyards out here that you're picking grapes from, you did not plant this. It came from God. It's on the hand. And then Scripture being between the eyes, right? Set on the forehead. So the image here is that God's Word is continually upon our mind. And as you walk and you talk and you live in this way and Talk to your children about this. Disciple them. They're, they're looking at you and they're, they're seeing that God's word is, is constantly upon your mind. Verse 9, you should write them on the doorpost of your house. So thankful for the way that Tara will take scripture and write it. Places in our home that are prominently displayed. If it was up to me, I'd fail in that. But, you know, there's this idea of even when you enter the gate, there's scripture written on the doorpost and on the gatepost. As you come into the house, scripture has covered this home, right? You know, here's the idea of total commitment. Here's the idea and the understanding of, of allegiance to God. And here's what Moses is getting at. As you do this and you walk about the land and you live within the community, of God's people. You keep God's provision and good blessing in focus when you prioritize His Word in your life. Isn't this the same for us? That we keep God's good provision and blessing in focus as we prioritize His Word in our life or as we center our lives around His Word. You see, this isn't just for fathers. It's for every believer, is it not? Notice in verses 10 through 12, he, he highlights how we learn to live in response to God's faithfulness. In verse 10, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you didn't build, right? And houses full of things that you didn't fill, cisterns that you didn't dig, vineyards, so on and on. Like the Israelites, the Christians, we need to guard our lives. And when the Israelites feasted on a steady diet of God's word, 
they were set to live in response to God's faithfulness. So it is for the believer. If we'll make God's word a priority in our lives, God's word will be our guard, our front and rear guard, and and be our guide. As the psalmist says, a, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So that we don't become forgetters and forsake God's gracious provision, right? That's what James says in the New Testament. It's what Moses says in verse 12. Then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. God's faithfulness extends in a much greater way to believers in Christ. Because God has given us a new covenant. This new covenant through Christ God has delivered us out of bondage and slavery, not to Egypt, but to sin. And it's for this reason that we must consistently, continually preach the gospel to ourselves. And remember verses like Romans 8.1, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You sinned? Remember. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Confess that sin, repent of it, and move forward. You've fallen and failed as a father in some ways. Confess that before the Lord. Share that with your children. And then ask for God's grace and ask for your children's grace in order to move forward and to lead and disciple them. We read verses like Romans 8.1, preaching the gospel to ourselves, or even verses like Ephesians chapter 4, chapter 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Listen, for by grace... You've been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. This is a gift of God. It's not a result of works. The reason is so no one can boast. Total commitment looks like allegiance to God. It looks like modeling and teaching God's way and God's word. And total commitment looks like being a distinct people. They were called to be a distinct people. We see that in verses 13 through 15. God's people are are different. They've been called out from among the nations to serve him alone. Look at verse 14. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. Instead, your confession, Israel, is to be, verse 4, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He is not another. He is one. He is the sovereign over the nations. He is the one who alone freed them from bondage to slavery, delivered them, brought them through the Red Sea, and is bringing them, delivering them, giving them the promised land. And as a covenant people, they have a distinct mission and calling. You know what it is? It's in verse 13. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve. And by his name you shall swear. They are to be a people set apart for Yahweh, for God alone. Their lives are to look different than the surrounding nations. In a much greater way, for the Christian, Paul writes in Ephesians 2.10, for we are His workmanship 
created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is God's design and desire for His people, that we would be a distinct people, a newly created people as the church, and that we would walk in a different way. We would engage in a different mission, a redemptive mission through Christ by His Spirit. And verse 15 is clear enough. God is a jealous God. He will not share His glory with another. I wonder if this is what James was speaking about when he wrote in James 4, 5. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell within us? God desires our complete and utter devotion to him. And so, believer, are you prioritizing God's word in your life? Dads, are you leading your homes in discipleship? Dads, are you walking in step with the Lord? Believer, are you preaching the gospel to yourself daily? Are you living out this mission that God has called you to faithfully? Well, the third truth I think we see this morning is that success in fatherhood is measured by faithfully living and teaching the gospel. Success in fatherhood is measured by faithfully living and teaching the gospel. The gospel. I'll show you what I mean. In verses 16 through 19, Moses reminds us of the need for diligence in keeping God's commandment. And he says that by living in God's way, we'll enjoy the covenant blessing of God's faithfulness. But as we conclude this morning, I want to focus on verses 20 through 25, which says, When your son asks you in time to come, What is the meaning of the testimonies and of the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there, that he might bring us and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord God and the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all his commandment before the Lord our God. And I mean as he has commanded us. Why would their children ask this question? What's the meaning of these testimonies and statutes and rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Why would, why would they ask this question of their parents, of their fathers? Well, I think it's, it's not because they live perfectly. I think it's because they live faithfully and consistently modeling God's way and teaching God's word. That's why these children would ask such a question when they get into the land. So when your son asks you in time to come, when your daughter asks you in time to come, what's the meaning of this? What's the meaning of these statutes and these commands and the way that you live your life? This means that all their teaching hasn't been in vain. There comes a point when children will say, what do these statutes mean? 
There comes a point in the home, parents, where your children will say, why do you devote your life to reading God's Word? There comes a point when they'll say, why do you speak so often of Jesus? Why do you quote God's Word to us? Why do you have God's Word posted around our home? Why are you so full of joy even when circumstances are difficult? Why does God's Word say this? And then, when your children ask such a question, like Moses tells the Israelites, so you can say to your son or your daughter, to the co-worker, let me tell you of the great works of God in my life. I was a slave to sin. God broke into my life and convicted me of my sin. And I saw my unworthiness before a holy God. And he showed me through his word how he provided for my salvation, my redemption, my deliverance through Jesus, through his death on the cross. And so I I repented of my sin and confessed Jesus as Lord. And he made me into a new person. And he always wants for my good. So I live for him. I love him. I'm teaching you to do the same thing. He's made me to know him. You see, this is the hope parent in the home as we're walking along the way and teaching when we rise up and when we sit down when we write God's word on the doorpost of the house notice the assurance that Moses speaks of for God's people when they're living in right relationship with God verse 25 and it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as He has commanded us. Church, this is our story. This is our story because Christ's work on the cross, our repentance leads to a right standing with God. It's our story because Christ has done a great work on the, on the cross of redeeming us from sin. And we're made righteous so that our sins are forgiven and our adversarial relationship to God has been made right so that we're now, so that we're no longer in an adversarial relationship with God, but we, we are in a, a fellowshipping relationship with God. We are in a familial relationship with God. He becomes our father. So now we are children of God. The result of righteous living, the result of discipleship in the home, the result of teaching our children God's word gives us an opportunity to teach them the gospel. But it gives all of us an opportunity to teach and preach the gospel to others as a father goes so goes the family as God's people the church faithfully live in submission to Christ so goes the community so goes a nation 
We have a mission church. That mission, it's grounded in making disciples of all nations. It begins in our homes and it spreads out into our community and it goes to the uttermost parts of the earth. This is God's redeeming mission through Jesus Christ. It's why God has saved you. It's what God desires to do in your life, in my life, through our lives. Dads, it's not too late to make an impact on your family. Perfection isn't required. Faithfulness to God is. Will you be faithful to God? Church, we have work to do in this community. And like fathers, first it must begin with us. So let us be a people who prioritize God's word and faithfully live God's word. We can only do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. This morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ, I want you to hear me. This is not, this is not some moral deism that we are preaching. The power to live according to the commandment of God only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ by the indwelling Holy Spirit of God in the life of His people. And so you can't do this on your own. It only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You can't be good enough. You can't be moral enough. Success in fatherhood is measured by faithfully living and teaching the gospel. Success as God's people is measured by faithfully living and teaching the gospel. I pray this morning that you'll respond in a manner consistent with how the Lord is convicting you according to his word. And this would be honoring to God for you to do such a thing. So how is God working in your life today? How is he challenging you? How is he calling you to respond, to live in response to his faithfulness in your life? Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, you are so faithful as we've sung about this morning. You have done great things in our lives and want to do great things through our lives. So, Father, I pray for the one that might be here this morning who's struggling in so many ways, struggling to make direction and sense of where he or she is going in life. I pray, God, that you would give clarity and understanding of what your spirit is speaking into them this morning. I pray, Father, also for those of us who are struggling as dads, maybe even as moms or as Christians, to walk faithfully with you. God, would you strengthen us and give us a resolve to prioritize your word, to live faithfully for you, to serve you and to serve you alone, to not give your glory to another, not give your worship to something else. So, Lord, we ask this in the strong and the powerful name of Christ our Savior. Amen.